What's up, guys, and welcome to Golf Betting On Demand. I'm your host, Rick Gaiman, and I'll be walking you through everything you need to know for this week's Wyndham Championship. This is it. This is the final tournament before the players head to the FedEx Cup playoffs. We're going to have basically everyone in the field who is vying for a shot into that top 125. They're going to be in action this week, which will make for some very compelling golf for all four days. Now, before we get to that, let's look back. We have to do it at last week's WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational. And what else is there to say? Brooks Kepka wins again. Rory McIlroy fades again down the stretch for Rory. It's something that has kind of uh, been the story of his 54 hole leads over the course of the last handful of years. He hasn't closed out as many of them as he would like. Brooks Kepka, on the other hand, continues to find ways to win. This is his, his third win of the year, including a major. So now he's got a major and a WGC on the resume. He has absolutely solidified his player of the year status as if he did not already. He's earned nearly $9.5 million. He's got a win in a major. He has two second place finishes. He has a fourth place finish. He's just been absolutely unstoppable this season. Um, he's very likely just going to absolutely be the number one ranked golfer in the FedEx Cup when it comes time for the Tour Championship, which as you know this year, or you might not know this year, it's, it means he is going to start the Tour Championship very likely 10 under par. It's the new structure that the Tour has gone with for this season. We'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks, but Brooks Kepka, absolutely amazing. Uh, Rory McIlroy, on the other hand, this was even more difficult for us because we were so into Rory last week. We were ready for that bounce back opportunity from the Open Championship, and he certainly did not disappoint through three rounds. A 62 on Saturday vaults him to the top of the leaderboard, and then he just kind of stalls out, just makes like nine or ten pars to open up on Sunday as he's playing with Brooks, watching Brooks pass him, and it just, just never got anything going. Rory being stalled out is probably the only way that I can phrase it. Had a lot of trouble with his approaches, kind of all week, but especially so on Sunday. Could not hit a wedge to anything closer to 20 than 20 feet. Uh, missed a lot of putts along the way. It was very uncharacteristic of Rory, and unfortunately, he did not cash our betting tickets. So let's look back at some of those betting tickets from last week. Uh, no major hits, a handful of close calls and some sweats, which as you can imagine with uh, PGA Tour betting and how volatile it is, a sweat can be a pretty good thing at times. Okay, so we had... Uh, we talked about Rory last week. He did not end up making my final betting card because I started a little bit later, which I'll talk about into um, in a second. But he ends up finishing, what, T4. He was your leader through 54 holes. I think we were very accurate um, and correct that he bounced back from the Open Championship. Outside of those two and a half rounds in Northern Ireland, he played awesome. He continued that through three rounds at the FedEx St. Jude. Fades on Sunday. A little bit disappointing, but Rory is lurking all the time. He is going to be, um, you know, well in contention in a lot of these FedEx Cup events in the coming weeks. Um, we also had Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, he did make my card. I believe I got him at 30 to 1. He ended up finishing T48. Started out hot, 
finished uh, finished well, but did nothing in between. Hideki Matsuyama was the number that we loved at 33 to one. Uh, ended up finishing T45 again. Started out hot, played well through two rounds, and just kind of stalled out on the weekend. Uh, Rafael Cabrera Bello was the opposite. He finished T12. So if you had a top 20 on him, you cash that ticket. He surged up the leaderboard on the weekend after a bit of a slow start. Patrick Cantlay. So Cantlay is where I started my betting slip at. I got him at 20 to 1. He was the uh, the guy that we talked about should be the absolute perfect fit for TPC Southwind last week. He had he was he was top of the field in the four major categories that we were looking for, and he was right in the thick of it. It was I, I believe he was one shot back or two shots back after two rounds. Um, he comes out Saturday moving day, and he certainly moved, but it was in the wrong direction. He made a double on number one. He made another double later in uh, over the course of, I think it was just a few holes later and just never got anything going. He actually played pretty well on Sunday, but he was just too far out of it. Never, never got any closer. Finished T12. Um, Ches Reevy, T27. We had a, a, a few conversations about him where, again, another course fit um, had missed a few cuts recently, so it was nice to see him bounce back. And we got all three of our fades right. Now, it's easy to say that, uh, hey, a guy didn't win. We got our fade right. But I, I just watching the golf, um, I think we were really correct on this. So we faded Phil Mickelson, Jason Day, and Andrew Putnam. Um, Putnam gave us a scare for a minute, uh, like five holes into Friday's round. He was one or two shots back, and I was getting super nervous about it. He ends up fading outside the top 20. And then Phil finishes 57th in a field of 63. He just can absolutely not get anything going. Um, really struggling in, in all aspects of his game, even the ones that we know Phil to be so so good at and so elite at. So he's in a really big rut right now since that win at the AT&T Pebble Beach. He's played some of the worst golf, quite frankly, of his career. And Jason Day also finishes outside of uh, 40th place. I think it was actually T40 as well. He's just not doesn't have the the game that we would like for four rounds. I mean, he's he's not putting four rounds together. He can get hot for 18 holes, maybe even 27 holes, but outside of that, nothing to do. Um, all right, final bets we had. Uh, we did have a first round leader sweat. Uh, Nate Lashley, who we picked at 100 to 1 for the first round lead, um, I think he ended up finishing three shots off the pace with uh, Rom, ended up being your first round leader. There was a, an opportunity where Lashley was coming up 18. If he made birdie, he would have tied for the lead at the moment. He made par, and then Rom kind of extended his lead after that. I think Rom was eight under after one. Uh, the guys in second place were six under. Lashley back down at five under. So he gave us a little bit of a sweat at 100 to one, which is always a lot of fun, but did not cash it. The one spot that we did get a win was our top Asian bet. If you remember this, we kind of narrowed it down and said, okay, we're, we're going to make this a three ball. Um, there's a few of these guys that are unlikely to win. One of them that we said was unlikely to win was Shugo Imihara, who actually was winning this bet on Sunday, but uh, dropped out of the top 20. Hao Tong Lee did cash for us at, I got him at uh, three to one, I believe, or even four to one. I think it was actually four to one. Uh, 
We got uh, Hao Tong Lee. He ends up beating the other two guys that we suspected were the biggest contenders, which were C.T. Pan and Hideki Matsuyama. Uh, Shugo ended up kind of making us sweat that one out a little bit, but he does close on the uh, on the top Asian bet. All right, enough of the FedEx St. Jude. Let's look at Sedgewood Country Club, which is uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina. And what you need to know is that this is uh, a fairly easy course. It is it ranks usually 40th out of 50 in terms of scoring. It is a par 70, about 7,100 yards. And it has a little bit of bite to it, but you're going to need to go low. If you remember, this is the tournament that Brant Snedeker won wire to wire last year after shooting a 59 in round one. I remember watching it. Uh, it he went off early. He was playing super well. And he, I think it was like, I don't know, somewhere around the turn, he hits like a seven iron from the fairway, dunks it in the cup. He didn't even know it was in the hole until he got up there. That really sparked his 59 run. He makes birdie on 18. And as they say, the rest is history. So uh, Brant goes wire to wire, wins by three shots. But remember, it was a lot closer than that. CT Pan on the 18th hole and Brant Snedeker on the 18th hole. They were in separate groups, but both playing 18 at the same time. They were tied. Uh, CT Pan blows one out of bounds off the tee. Snedeker makes birdie, and it ends up being a three-shot lead, but it was actually much closer than that. What you need to know about Sedgefield, which I keep wanting to call Sedgewood for some reason, is the defining aspect of this is you're going to need to make a lot of birdies. Uh, 17, 20 under par, somewhere in there usually wins this thing. And there are narrow fairways. So between that 200 and 275 and 300-yard mark on, on Sedgefield, they are some of the more narrow fairways on the tour. Only five or six courses are more narrow. Um, and then you go up to like, you know, Kapalua, which is three times the size of this. I could, I could hit the fairway at Kapalua. So you're going to need to be able to be accurate off the tee. And if you go back to look at last year's leaderboard, that's where a lot of the value came from. So Snedeker was up there. Webb Simpson was up there. Neither of them particularly accurate drivers of the golf ball, but the value in the top 10 came from very straight hitters. Ryan Armour was up there. Um, you get guys like David Hearn near the top of the leaderboard. Uh, Brian Gay, guys that only show up really on the uh, whether they be shorter or courses that you need to be very, very accurate. The good news is we are going to have a lot of course history uh, for this week. Sedgefield has been the host of the Wyndham Championship for, I want to say, eight or nine years. I guess longer than that, since, since 2008. Brant Snedeker is your defending champion. Henrik Stenson won it the year before that. Siwoo Kim the year prior. So it's a place where we can get a lot of different winners. Everyone is trying to jostle for that final position in the FedEx Cup standings. And there are plenty of course horses, guys that always seem to play well here, whether it is the type of grass, whether it be in their hometown, hint, hint, for what is coming in just a few moments. A um, lot of course, course horses that we're going to cover, and it should be a fun week as we head into the final tournament before the FedEx Cup playoffs. So that's what you need to know about Sedgefield. When we come back, we're going to talk about those course horses. We're going to talk about some guys that we're going to are that are going to make our betting slip, some fades, and maybe we'll get freaky with some exotic bets at the end. So course horses on the other side.
best friends. Yep. The best friends forever. If I do miss out on the Brady's, Garoppolo's, Philip Rivers, I have Andy Dalton as my QB 23, and it's worth mentioning that last year when everyone was healthy through weeks one to eight, Andy Dalton was the QB 14 overall, but he is somebody himself who can have a decent fantasy output, who can be elevated when he has all those weapons around him healthy. Watch live on the FNTSY YouTube stream and download the podcast on your popular podcast providers. FanDuel, hurry up. And the best times to target Keegan Bradley are when he's coming off a missed cut because he is a volatile golfer. You don't want to chase the high with Keegan Bradley. You want to chase him when he's down low. And that has been the case here recently with that missed cut. Also had a finish outside the top 45 before that. So now is a time to buy into a golfer who has a really good approach play. He ranks third in this field and approach over the past 50 rounds. Watch on demand on the FNTSY YouTube stream. Fantasy football frenzy. You said Cam Meredith. That's an interesting one. People probably totally forgot about Cam Meredith. Uh, Last year, a lot of people were hyped. They thought he might be the wide receiver, too, for the Saints because they got him from the Bears uh, last year. Uh, They signed him. And, you know, he got hurt. He missed the whole season, basically. And and when he came back, he didn't really even play. He didn't really get opportunities. Weekdays, 1 p.m. Eastern on FNTSY Radio and on your popular podcast providers. Rain dance! Make it rain. I think you got the right names out there. You know, the Strowmans, the Mad Bums. I'll give you two others. All right. It seems like Zach Wheeler of the New York Mets, who's coming back to make a start for them. It seems like there'll be a lot of eyes on him. He makes his start. And one of our guys, Joe, don't forget about Matty Boyd. All right. The Detroit Tigers are going nowhere fast. They are 35 games under 500. Weekdays, 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern on the Fantasy Sports Network and on your popular podcast providers. The morning after. Like, I won't be going out on a limb when I tell you right now that Tyreek Hill is going to hit her again. Tyreek Hill will beat the kid up again, right? He will end up getting kicked out of the league and arrested. You think that, oh, he's going to live happily ever after and nothing's going to happen? Yeah, and John Jones will never, ever do anything and get in trouble ever again for the rest of his life, right? Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on FNTSY Radio and on your popular podcast providers. Did we just become best friends? Yep! The best friends forever. If I do miss out on the Brady's, Garoppolo's, Phillip Rivers, I have Andy Dalton as my QB 23, and it's worth mentioning that last year when everyone was healthy through weeks 1 to 8, Andy Dalton was the QB 14 overall, but he is somebody himself who can have a decent fantasy output, who can be elevated when he has all those weapons around him healthy. Watch live on the FNTSY YouTube stream and download the podcast on your popular podcast providers. FanDuel, hurry up. And the best times to target Keegan Bradley are when he's coming off a missed cut because he is a volatile golfer. You don't want to chase the high with Keegan Bradley. You want to chase him when he's down low. And that has been the case here recently with that missed cut. Also had a finish outside the top 45 before that. So now is a time to buy into a golfer who has a really good approach play. He ranks third in this field and approach over the past 50 rounds. Watch on demand on the FNTSY YouTube stream. Fantasy football frenzy. You said Cam Meredith. That's an interesting one. People probably totally forgot about Cam Meredith. Uh, Last year, a lot of people were hyped. They thought he might be the wide receiver, too, for the Saints because they got him from the Bears uh, last year. Uh, They signed him. And, you know, he got hurt. He missed the whole season, basically. And and when he came back, he didn't really even play. He didn't really get opportunities. Weekdays, 1 p.m. Eastern on FNTSY Radio and on your popular podcast providers. 
Welcome back to Golf Betting On Demand. And this section is a little bit new for us and it is really going to be about the difference between course horses and course fit. So if you've ever uh, bet golf, if you've ever played fantasy golf, if you ever just watched golf in general, usually the type of golfers that we're looking for uh, match one or hopefully both of these two following criteria. Either they're playing well at the moment, which would be their recent form, or they have a good course history. Those who have a good course history are considered to be course horses. Now, I would actually throw a third thing into that mix, which would be course fit different than course history. Course history to me means you have played here before and you have had really good success. Course fit might not necessarily mean that you've had success here or that you've played here at all, but your type of game would be best suited for this course. It would fit your game. So really long courses are usually beaten up well by really long hitters. If you're a short hitter on a long course, you might not be a good course fit. So that's where we're going with this. So let's start with some of these course horses and names that you might hear uh, throughout the week. And there is no one that we can start with other than Webb Simpson. Webb Simpson has opened up as the odds on favorite to win this event. He opened at 10 to one and he has already been bet down to nine to one. And it's honestly for very good reason. Um, he's a Raleigh native, so local to the area. He went to Wake Forest and he just absolutely destroyed Sedgefield and the Wyndham Championship in the past. Just let me read off the last couple of years of results for you for Webb Simpson. Second place, third place, 72nd, sixth, 5th, 11th, 22nd, and in 2011, he actually won this event. So he's just racking up the top 10s. He's had nothing but good things to say about Sedgefield, about the area, about everything that goes on at the Wyndham Championship. His recent form is great. He hasn't played a whole lot recently, going back to, um, I think he had a 16th place finish at the US Open, a 30th at the British, and then a second place last week at the WGC. So he is absolutely trending in the right direction. And how much does Webb Simpson love the Wyndham Championship? He actually named his daughter Wyndham. Yeah, can't make this stuff up. Uh, obvious good vibes when he gets there for good reason. He's the odds on favorite. For me, if you've been following along, you know that I, I, I don't love betting guys in the single digits. Um, we haven't seen as many of them come in uh, this year or over the past 18 months as we would like to assume. And betting Webb Simpson at 9-1 to one, when any other week you're going to be able to get him twice or even three times the odds of that. This, this isn't a very deep field, um, but there's other guys who can certainly win this event. He is just basically the by default favorite. So I don't think he's going to be making my betting sheet, but we might get our action in in maybe some top 10 bets and see if we can make a little money that way. All right. Next up is the guy that I actually do prefer in a big way, and that's Brant Snedeker. So Snedeker's at 22 to 1. I've already jumped on him. I expect that number to come down. And I kind of mentioned him in the intro where he comes out here, he shoots a 59, wins this thing last year. And I'll be quite frank with you, when it comes to course fit, Snedeker isn't really the guy. Um, he's not very accurate off the tee. He makes too many bogeys. Um, he, he just really, if you look at it on paper, he would not fit this course, but his results say otherwise. You have the win last year. He came in third two years ago. He didn't play in the middle, uh, in the middle year. 43rd, 
and then a fifth place finish. So he's racking up top five finishes, including a win, including a 59. And despite what the analytics and the stat heads like myself would say about him not being a course fit, his results have shown us otherwise. Um, now, if you look at uh, a little bit deeper, he's trending in in exactly the type of situation that we would like. Um, so he ends up finishing, I believe, Top 25 last week, the WGC, but he had the second best strokes gain tee to green numbers. He played better tee to green than all but one golfer in the field last week on the weekend. Okay, so third and fourth rounds. So he's coming in hot, playing two great rounds, going to a place where he was just the wire to wire defending champion. And uh, the best part about that is even though he played so great on the weekend last week, he lost two and a half strokes putting. That's a lot, especially for a guy who is a notorious great putter. He usually gains at least a stroke per round. So that's a lot of strokes left out there for Snet for Brant Snedeker to find a way to get himself back into contention this week. Now the next guy, we're going to kind of flip the script a little bit from Brant Snedeker, who is not a good course fit, but his results have shown us otherwise, to Ches Reavy at 40 to 1, who is like the perfect course fit. But his results tell us otherwise. These are really two anomalies. You don't always see this. Usually course history, course fit, over a long enough period of time, they usually tend to uh, you know, trend in the same direction. There's a pretty good correlator between those two things. But here we have guys on the outskirts of both of them. So Snedeker, or I'm sorry, uh, Reavy has actually missed three of his last four cuts here at the Wyndham despite being that perfect course fit. And when I say perfect, what I mean is he is number one in driving accuracy. Um, if you have watched this show in the past, you know that I run, uh, without being too nerdy here, uh, it's called a, it's a regression model in which I look at all of the stats over the course of the last 12 years on the PGA Tour and I compare them to the course. And there are certain stats that are more important at each course than others. Driving accuracy is the most important stat at Sedgefield. So when someone like Ches Reavy comes in ranked number one in the field in driving accuracy, I start to listen to that. Uh, combine that with the fact that he's excellent on par fours, and this is a par 70, so there's extra, quote unquote, extra par fours on this course. Um, he's second in scoring, so he's excellent there. And at least we're getting him rounding into form. Remember, he he goes out and he wins a couple of weeks ago, then he misses two straight cuts, and you wonder if that win hangover, you know, winning for the first time in 10 or 11 years, whatever it ended up being, uh, was a real thing. But he comes out and he, you know, 27th last week, which is uh, respectable in one of the deepest fields that you're going to get. It's a WGC event. So it looks like he's rounding back into shape. This should be a really good place for him. And because of that lack of uh, really good results, I mean, he's 40 to 1. That number's fairly deep when you compare it to some of these other guys. Like, I don't think he's twice as, um, or I guess half as likely to win this as Brant Snedeker is. That that number seems a little bit off. So I'm going to jump on it at 40 to 1. He makes enough birdies and he's the type of guy that um, should be popping up on the top of this leaderboard. Okay, we're going to get a little bit, I, I shouldn't say a little bit, we're going to get a lot deeper here because these are, again, course history and or course fit guys. And I'm looking at Ryan Armour at 150 to 1. Uh, the recent results are 
obviously a big concern when it comes to Ryan Armour. He's coming in off a 53rd place finish at the Barracuda. He does not have a lot of top 40s over the course of the last handful of weeks. He's making a lot of cuts, but he's just kind of hovering in that 40, 50, 60 range. It's a little bit, uh, you know, I don't want to say depressing, but he's just, it's mostly uninspiring is probably the best way to put it. Uh, the, the inspiring part about Ryan Armour is his back-to-back top eight finishes here at the Wyndham Championship, and I believe it is with obvious reason of why. Uh, he's second in driving accuracy in this field, he's a great putter, and he's great on par fours. Now, his distance off the tee is quite frankly, terrible. I think I might be able to get one out there with him every once in a while, but the rest of his game really fits the type of player that we would expect to find success here, and Ryan Armour has found success here. So it's a 150 to 1 long shot to get him on my betting card. I'm probably going to have to each way that. So if you have access to an each way, uh, you can bet that, or otherwise what I would be doing is betting different combinations of top five, top 10, top 20, so that I can still see that upside as the odds should be plenty deep enough in the top five, top 10, and top 20 market for a guy who's 150 to one to outright win this thing. So um, do I expect Ryan Armour to win? Not necessarily. Do I expect him to compete? Of course, he's the type of player that we should find near the top of the leaderboard um, quite often. Uh, I went back and I was just 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 very simply without running any stats, digging through a lot of the old leaderboards and then comparing it to just driving accuracy. So it, to take the 2017 leaderboard, compare it to the 2017 leaders in driving accuracy, and you just see a bunch of these names similarly pop up all the time. So that is uh, the the stat model bared it out that it was an important stat, and of course the uh, the results are backing that up as well. All right. Final guy here in this section, and it's even longer than Ryan Armour, and it's Brian Gay. Uh, sixth place finish here for Brian Gay. The, the problem is he, his recent form has been absolutely horrible, but he's another one of these golfers who is good enough on par fours, and he is super accurate off the tee. If you go and look through his player profile on you know PGATour.com or whatever it ends up being, um, Brian Gay's name will pop up on the leaderboard a handful of times a year, and they are always at very specific courses um, and ones that fit him. To Brian Gay's credit, he does not he does not disappoint on the courses that we would expect him to find success on, but he never finds success on the courses that we would not. So you see him at like RBC Heritage, you see him here at the Wyndham Championship, things where. His, uh, I mean, I kind of made a joke about Ryan Armour that I could hit one out there with him. I probably can hit one out there with Brian Gay. Um, he's just very short off the tee, uh, cannot overpower a course. So you have to find him in very specific situations. And this is one of them. Again, 200 to one in the outright market. Um, probably not going to find much of an investment from me, or at least a very small one. I'll try to sprinkle in some top fives, top tens, top twenties, things of that nature to get my exposure to Brian Gay. All right. On the other side, we've still got to talk about the the other side of this recent form. Who's coming in hot? Who are some guys that we might want to avoid or fade? And what my final betting slip is going to end up being? We'll talk through more of that on the other side. Did we just become best friends? Yep. The best friends forever. If I do miss out on the Brady's, Garoppolo's, Philip Rivers, 
I have Andy Dalton as my QB 23, and it's worth mentioning that last year when everyone was healthy through weeks 1 to 8, Andy Dalton was the QB 14 overall, but he is somebody himself who can have a decent fantasy output, who can be elevated when he has all those weapons around him healthy. Watch live on the FNTSY YouTube stream and download the podcast on your popular podcast providers. FanDuel, hurry up. And the best times to target Keegan Bradley are when he's coming off a missed cut because he is a volatile golfer. You don't want to chase the high with Keegan Bradley. You want to chase him when he's down low. And that has been the case here recently with that missed cut. Also had a finish outside the top 45 before that. So now is a time to buy into a golfer who has a really good approach play. He ranks third in this field in approach over the past 50 rounds. Watch on demand on the FNTSY YouTube stream. Fantasy Football Frenzy. He said Cam Meredith. That's an interesting one. People probably for- totally forgot about Cam Meredith. Uh, last year, a lot of people were hyped. They thought he might be the wide receiver, too, for the Saints because they got him from the Bears uh, last year. Uh, they signed him. And, you know, he got hurt. He missed the whole season, basically. And he, and he, when he came back, he didn't really even play. He didn't really get opportunities. Weekdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, FNTSY Radio, and on your popular podcast providers. Rain dance. Make it rain. I think you got the right names out there. You know, the Strowmans, the Mad Bums. I'll give you two others. All right. It seems like Zach Wheeler of the New York yep. Mets who's coming back to make a start for them. It seems like there'll be a lot of eyes on him. He makes his start. And one of our guys, Joe, don't forget about Matty Boyd. All right. The yep. Detroit Tigers are going nowhere fast. They are 35 games under 500. Weekdays, 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern on the Fantasy Sports Network and on your popular podcast providers. The morning after. Like, I won't be going out on a limb when I tell you right now that Tyreek Hill is going to hit her again. Tyreek Hill will beat the kid up again, right? He will end up getting kicked out of the league and arrested. You think that, oh, he's going to live happily ever after and nothing's going to happen? Yeah, and John Jones will never ever do anything and get in trouble ever again for the rest of his life, either, right? Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on FNTSY Radio and on your popular podcast providers. Did we just become best friends? Yup! The best friends forever. If I do miss out on the Brady's, Garoppolo's, Philip Rivers, I have Andy Dalton as my QB 23, and it's worth mentioning that last year when everyone was healthy through weeks 1 to 8, Andy Dalton was the QB 14 overall, but he is somebody himself who can have a decent fantasy output, who can be elevated when he has all those weapons around him healthy. Watch live on the FNTSY YouTube stream and download the podcast on your popular podcast providers. Welcome back to Golf Betting On Demand, and it's the time that you've all been waiting for. Actually, I guess it's the time that I've been waiting for. And here we're going to go through some of the hottest players on the planet. So going back to our conversation earlier in regards to course history, course fit, and recent form, this would be the recent form section. And quite honestly, this is this this is the style of golfers that I like to bet because I don't necessarily think that 
you know, the course history folk, if you just show up at a course and you haven't been playing well, something is going to click and all of a sudden you're going to be able to hit your driver again. I don't think that is necessarily the case. I like guys who are playing well, even if they don't have course history, if you're hitting the ball well, if you're striking it, you tend to be able to parlay that to success at any course that you're at. So these are the golfers where if I could only pick one between course history and recent form, I pick the recent form. And no one gets more recent than one of the most recent winners on the PGA Tour, Colin Morikawa, who just in his sixth start as a professional of his career, gets his first win last week uh, in that Stableford event. So you might not have seen it because it was running opposite of the WGC, but he goes out and he gets the win to go with his fourth place finish at the John Deere Classic and his second place finish at the 3M. Three top four finishes in his first six starts as a professional is nothing short of amazing. These kids are coming out of college ready, as ready as ever. They have been gearing up for this. There's so much great technology and so much great training. We're seeing these younger guys win more and more. We've already seen from the same crop of professionals turning pro, Matt Wolf win. We've now seen Morikawa win. So I guess Victor Hovland, this might be your week. You're basically the last big name out of that uh, crop of young golfers who turned pro at the same time to not capture your win. But let's talk about Morikawa a bit for a second. I mentioned that he has not missed a cut in his six professional starts, and he actually leads this field in strokes gained over the course of the last 30 days and also for the 2019 season. Now, obviously, it is a much smaller sample size for Morikawa in only 20 measured rounds, so he actually doesn't even qualify for P for official PGA Tour statistics because just like any sport, just like baseball specifically, you need to have enough games played. Well, you need to have enough rounds on the PGA Tour to qualify for official statistics. Now, if he did qualify, he'd be top 20 in the field in driving accuracy, which is an important stat that we're looking for. And he's just bringing so much, uh, I mean, he's going low, he's able to make birdies. He's so mature for being in college just a few months ago. Uh, it's really, really impressive stuff. So no one hotter than Colin Morikawa. He's 14 to one, which quite frankly, uh, it's steep, right, for a guy who's only played six tournaments, but it's also not really when you look at it as the terms of this guy is a PGA Tour winner in one of the weaker fields of the year. So he's right up there as one of the top three betting favorites. If you believe in kind of the win hangover, which is like he has a lot more press obligations, he's gonna, he might be showing up late. Actually, there was a note that he withdrew from this event Um but then they quickly reversed it. He is still in the field at the time of recording. It is possible Morikawa ends up withdrawing his name. So just keep an eye on it as we head towards that Thursday tea time. Next up, also running hot right now is Patrick Reed. Sitting there at 22 to 1, same odds as Brant Snedeker. I think that Snedeker's number could move uh, as he garners more bets from across the industry. Reeds might just stay there. Uh, he's been playing well, but hasn't done enough to maybe move the needle on the rest of the industry yet. Coming off a 12th place finish at the WGC FedEx, a 10th place finish at the British Open, a 23rd and a 5th place in his two starts prior to that. And hey, how about this? He's won here. Yeah, he's won the Wyndham. 
He's only played um, three times in the last seven years. He's got three top 25s, including that win. Now, there's a little bit of concern when it comes to Patrick Reed's course fit for me, even just after saying he's won here and he's got top 25s, because the problem with Reed is that he can spray it off the tee. He can get really, really loose in a hurry. So he's one of these guys that, you know, he, he's either going to miss the cut or he's going to win it, right? He's got a very volatile set of results. And we've actually talked about Patrick Reed over the course of the last handful of weeks where he almost defies a lot of the statistics because what he does positively, he does in bunches. And what he does negatively, he does in bunches. He is the one of the furthest inconsistent uh, golfers on the PGA Tour in terms of stat-wise. So we're getting him in a really, really good spot right now, including his off-the-tee game, which he's gaining about a half a stroke per round more than we would expect him to off the tee. So if he can continue to keep this run hot, he's going to a place that he has won at before, but things can certainly go off the rail. So if you're looking for a safe bet at 22 to 1, Patrick Reed is not your guy. If you're looking for a, someone who will stop your sweat uh, Thursday morning because he, uh, he goes out and makes a couple doubles early or he's in contention all week, then Patrick Reed is the type of golfer that you want to be rostering. All right. Here's someone else that has kind of uh, flown a little bit under the radar for the most of the industry. He's sitting there at 40 to 1, and it's Cam Smith. So Cam Smith, his last uh, three starts, he's got the 12th place finish at the WGC, a 20th at the British Open, and then a 29th place finish at his previous start before that. And he doesn't he hasn't necessarily played here at the Wyndham uh, a whole lot. He has a 7th place finish two years ago. And the thing about Cam Smith, him flying under the radar, is we've actually seen him higher on leaderboards at different points in the tournament. And I think this is a really interesting cognitive bias that we have. Um, for example, I'll go back to Rory McIlroy last week at the WGC and kind of talk through the way that our minds work a little bit. And Rory ends up finishing T4 which if before the tournament started, you would have said Rory finishes T4, that would have been great. We would have been like, oh, wow, great finish by Rory. Okay, he's a top player. It's a top five. Of course he finished. Like that's, okay, what we would expect from him. But the way that he did it changes our perception of it. Um, because he was the 54-hole leader and he dropped out of the lead to T4, it makes us view that as kind of a failure. Um, which is really an interesting way to look at it. And um, I think that that drives a lot of decision-making for betters or for fantasy players or just watching golf in general. That looks like a big disappointment for Rory when it actually, in theory, should be considered a great success, a top five at a WGC event. Cam Smith is kind of similar. We've seen his name up. He's, he, he will, I think he snatched the lead at the WGC for a few holes. Uh, we've seen him near the top of leaderboards, but he doesn't end up finishing highly. Uh, but if you go and you look at his results, okay, T12 at the WGC, 20th at the British. For Cam Smith, those are really good results. So I think he actually does not get as much credit as he should be getting because of the way that he finishes instead of um, you know, finishing strong, he, he fades a little bit. He starts strong. So 40 to one is a really interesting number in an area that has a lot of other really good values and a lot of other guys who are playing well at the moment. Right next to Cam Smith is Lucas Glover, who 
40 to 1. Now he has not played, he didn't play the WGC, of course. He, he hasn't played a whole lot, but 20th place finish, 10th place finish, 7th place finish in his last three starts. And he has three top 28 finishes in a row at the Wyndham Championship. He's made cuts here. He's he's cashed top 25 bets. And another one of these guys who is playing well, but if you look at it, he should also check off a little bit of the course history, right? Three top 25s in a row and check off a lot of the course fit. So Lucas Glover, notorious for his, you know, um, par four scoring, he's best in the field in par four scoring and he's tops in bogey avoidance. That bogey avoidance stat is critical this week. And this is a really good time to talk about it. So Again, going back to that regression model where I find out what stats are important for the week, it was driving accuracy as number one and bogey avoidance as number two. And this is really interesting because we usually only see bogey avoidance pop up at very, very difficult courses or very, very easy courses. We usually never see it in between. So obviously the thought process on difficult courses is there's going to be a lot of bogeys made. Okay. You go to the U S open. These guys are making a lot of bogeys. If you can avoid the bogey, um, that puts you in a better situation, obviously. Um, but for really easy courses, like we're going to see this week, it ranks 40 out of 50 on the PGA tour last year in terms of scoring. This is going to be an easy course. There's going to be a lot of birdies. If you're making par, you're already falling behind. If you're making bogey, you are certainly falling behind. So it's interesting to see that stat pop up on the two extremes of courses. Very difficult and very easy courses. But for Lucas Glover, he ranks number one in bogey avoidance. So he's going to probably make my card in that 40 to one range this week as I start to pepper some of those middle range guys who have a lot to play for trying to get themselves solidified for the FedEx Cup playoffs. All right. One last guy, because I do think this uh, 40 to 50 range is so bountiful. And this is a, a smaller sample size in terms of recent form than some of the other guys that we mentioned. But Alex Noren is sitting here at 50 to 1. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but it was like only a year ago or only maybe it was 18 months ago, going back to last year's match play. Alex Noren was like the eighth best player in the world. Literally, his official world golf ranking got as high as eighth in the world at a point. Um, he's basically fallen off a cliff since then. He's right now ranks 44th in the world. He went through a stretch of missing a lot of cuts, not playing well at all, but there is some indication that he is coming out of it a little bit. He's got a T12 and a T11 in the last two weeks, um, including that WGC event. Now he's never played here at Sedgefield and there's, you know, uh, like, like Noren's, Noren's worst part of his game is the putter. So if you can just get that hot or play up to an average PGA tour type golfer, there is some room for, uh, for turn up here, right. To, to, for him to reach his ceiling. I just think that Noren is certainly a long term um, one of the, one of the better and or more elite golfers on, on the tour, his, his, his results have shown that at times and he's fallen off. If he can just round back into it, which he's starting to do and find a spot for 50 to one, like he's better than a lot of the other guys in the 50 to one range. So he's interesting to me. All right. We're going to wrap this up with a few things, guys to avoid fades, people we don't want to touch with a 10 foot pole. And then my final betting board for this week at the Wyndham championship. We'll get to that after these words. 
best friends. Yep. The best friends forever. If I do miss out on the Brady's, Garoppolo's, Philip Rivers, I have Andy Dalton as my QB 23, and it's worth mentioning that last year when everyone was healthy through weeks one to eight, Andy Dalton was the QB 14 overall, but he is somebody himself who can have a decent fantasy output, who can be elevated when he has all those weapons around him healthy. Watch live on the FNTSY YouTube stream and download the podcast on your popular podcast providers. FanDuel, hurry up. And the best times to target Keegan Bradley are when he's coming off a missed cut because he is a volatile golfer. You don't want to chase the high with Keegan Bradley. You want to chase him when he's down low. And that has been the case here recently with that missed cut. Also had a finish outside the top 45 before that. So now is a time to buy into a golfer who has a really good approach play. He ranks third in this field and approach over the past 50 rounds. Watch on demand on the FNTSY YouTube stream. Fantasy football frenzy. You said Cam Meredith. That's an interesting one. People probably totally forgot about Cam Meredith. Uh, Last year, a lot of people were hyped. They thought he might be the wide receiver, too, for the Saints because they got him from the Bears uh, last year. Uh, They signed him. And, you know, he got hurt. He missed the whole season, basically. And and when he came back, he didn't really even play. He didn't really get opportunities. Weekdays, 1 p.m. Eastern on FNTSY Radio and on your popular podcast providers. Rain this! Make it rain. I think you got the right names out there. You know, the Strowmans, the Mad Bums. I'll give you two others. All right. It seems like Zach Wheeler of the New York Mets, who's coming back to make a start for them. It seems like there'll be a lot of eyes on him. He makes his start. And one of our guys, Joe, don't forget about Matty Boyd. All right. The Detroit Tigers are going nowhere fast. They are 35 games under 500. Weekdays, 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern on the Fantasy Sports Network and on your popular podcast providers. The morning after. Like, I won't be going out on a limb when I tell you right now that Tyreek Hill is going to hit her again. Tyreek Hill will beat the kid up again, right? He will end up getting kicked out of the league and arrested. You think that, oh, he's going to live happily ever after and nothing's going to happen? Yeah, and John Jones will never ever do anything and get in trouble ever again for the rest of his life, right? Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on FNTSY Radio and on your popular podcast providers. Did we just become best friends? Yep! The best friends forever. If I do miss out on the Brady's, Garoppolo's, Philip Rivers, I have Andy Dalton as my QB 23, and it's worth mentioning that last year when everyone was healthy through weeks 1 to 8, Andy Dalton was the QB 14 overall, but he is somebody himself who can have a decent fantasy output, who can be elevated when he has all those weapons around him healthy. Watch live on the FNTSY YouTube stream and download the podcast on your popular podcast providers. FanDuel, hurry up. And the best times to target Keegan Bradley are when he's coming off a missed cut because he is a volatile golfer. You don't want to chase the high with Keegan Bradley. You want to chase him when he's down low. And that has been the case here recently with that missed cut. Also had a finish outside the top 45 before that. So now is a time to buy into a golfer who has a really good approach play. He ranks third in this field and approach over the past 50 rounds. Watch on demand on the FNTSY YouTube stream. All right, welcome back to Golf Betting On Demand for the home stretch here. And we've got a lot of important stuff to cover as we wrap here. And this is one of my most popular things that I can do. And I think it's the most important where 
a lot of, we can talk about a lot of the guys that I'm going to be betting or that I think might be good bets, but the other side of it is just as important too. The guys that we're going to fade, the guys that we don't want any piece of for one reason or another, and what it all comes down to is value. Are they priced accordingly to their actual odds of winning the golf tournament or top five or top 10 or whatever you're betting them in? Is there any room for you to make money or are you putting in a losing bet before the tournament even starts? So the guys that I just don't think make a lot of sense for their price. Let's start with Jordan Spieth. And if you follow me, you kind of know how I feel about Jordan Spieth. And it is not a personal thing. I think he's a really great guy. I would love to see him succeed, but I'm not going to be an apologist for him. He's playing absolutely brutal right now. It's been going on. He hasn't won a golf tournament in over two years. There's just little reason to believe that is going to change anytime soon. And the biggest reason for that is that he's brutal with his driver. Um, if this was Kapalua and the fairways were 60 yards wide, I might not care. But it's not. It's Sedgefield, and we already know that driving accuracy is the most important statistic for this week, according to my model. And when I say he's brutal with his driver, I'm not kidding. Um, strokes gained off the tee, he absolutely bleeds strokes off the tee. He's losing in almost every round possible. Um, overall, he's just really, really bad. And then in terms of just straight accuracy, how often does he hit the fairway? There's only two guys in the field worse than Jordan Spieth. In the most important stat of the week, He's 14 to 1. I, I mentioned this about Phil Mickelson last week and it ended up being correct. You know, if his name wasn't Jordan Spieth, he'd probably be 50 to 1. Something like that. Like the numbers just aren't there. I know that he's coming in off of a 12th and a and a 20th, but he's doing that with historic strokes gained performances in all other categories except the driver, specifically uh, his short game stats. His putting and his around the green game have absolutely carried him to even top 20 finishes. And as we know, those are the most volatile, they are the most inconsistent, and they're, they're just the hardest to maintain week over week. So I, I really think that Spieth is in for some um, you know regression back to the mean when it comes to his around the green game and his putting, and it's taking absolutely historic um, performances for him to even contend in the events that he is contending in. Um, he's lost, he lost just last week alone, Tita Green in three of his final four uh, WGC rounds. He just had a historic putting day on Sunday that was able to move him up the leader leaderboard a little bit. So Spieth is out on my player board. I think he should actually be probably closer to, I don't know, 50 to one to win this golf tournament. Next up, same price. Another guy right here at the top, Hideki Matsuyama, 14 to 1, which is just a little too short for me here. And the reason for that, uh, I, I don't like to kind of, um, you know, put any narratives on guys, but it looks like he might be running out of gas. It's been a lot of golf all over the world for Hideki. He's played well um, for, for a long time this summer, but it, things are starting to come unraveled a little bit. He missed the cut at the British, the Open Championship. He came in 43rd in a field of 63 at the WGC, and he's played like three 
really poor rounds in a row. That's T to green. I mean, it's just, it's not going well for Hideki right now. And when we talk about strokes gained off the tee, Hideki's pretty good. Uh, he gains strokes off the tee because he hits the ball so far, but in terms of pure accuracy, he is all over the place. I think he's a 55% um, rate of hitting fairways, which you know, for perspective, Jordan Spieth's like 53. They're both really, really down in the doldrums of hitting the fairway, which we know is going to be so critical at Sedgefield. These guys are going to put themselves in a lot of bad positions if they can't find the short grass off the tee. The other really concerning thing about Hideki is his irons. And, and we never say that about Hideki. That's usually the one thing that keeps him afloat. But he has now had five uh, what I would call subpar rounds of approaches for, for, uh, for Hideki. So that doesn't mean he's necessarily lost strokes on approach, but they've been below his average. So five straight rounds. That's a pretty long time for a top-tier player when approaches are one of the more consistent stats week in and week out and round to round. So I'm wondering if he lost something. I'm wondering if he's just run out of gas a little bit, but I will not be on board when he is 14 to one at this week's Wyndham Championship. It's a little hard to swallow. And then the last guy that I'm really considering just a, a full fade on is Billy Horschel, um, which, you know, the name itself isn't really like, oh, why would you have to mention Billy Horschel? Well, there has been a little bit of traction for him in the industry as of late, and he's the last guy in the top tier of salaries. He's 28 to, or I'm sorry, in, in betting odds. He's 28 to one in which um, then the next tier drops to 40. So there's really like nobody in that 30 to one, 35 to one range. It just jumps from 28 to 40. And he had a ninth place finish last week at TPC Southwind, which is a much better fit for Billy Horschel. He's had much better success at TPC Southwind, despite two top five, two top 10 finishes here at Sedgefield in his last three years. But all of those factors coming together are really pushing momentum on Billy Horschel, and I think it is what has driven this, uh, this number on him to be so much shorter than it should be. Uh, one, he's not accurate off the tee. I've, I think I've talked ad nauseum about how important it's going to be to be accurate off the tee. Billy Horschel does not check that box. Additionally, doesn't make enough birdies. His birdie or better rate is like 20%. That is maybe average in this field. Uh, we'd, we'd want to see him closer to 25% to be really excited about it. Uh, on the flip side of that, makes too many bogeys. Yeah, Billy Horschel is your uh, classic guy who's going to shoot, you know, 18 under par. Or I'm sorry, he is going to shoot even par, and he's going to do it going birdie, bogey, birdie, bogey, birdie, bogey, right? He just doesn't make a lot of pars. Um, and with, with driving accuracy and bogey avoidance being literally the number one and number two most important stats this week, I'm staying away from Billy Horschel, who struggles in both of those. And then if you really need, you know, the topping on the cake, the cherry on top, he just doesn't putt very well. There's just a lot of ways that Billy Ho can go wrong this week. He's 28 to 1. He is amongst the top tier of golfers, and he won't be getting my investment come Thursday morning. Who will be getting my investment come Thursday morning? Let's go over my final betting sheet. These are the guys that I have either bet already or intend to. Um, th these are my, you know, quote unquote official plays. You can feel free to tail or I quite frankly, make your own decisions. Um, take the things that you've heard today on the show, uh, consume them, 
uh, and make your own decisions and, and bet what's right for you. I like to play a style where I don't usually bet a lot of the single digit guys. I like to start my card a little bit lower so that I can spread it around a little bit. That's entirely up to you. You might only want to bet one golfer each week and you might want to bet a favorite. So keep all of that in mind. All right. Here it is, my official board for this week. I have Brant Snedeker, who I've already bet at 22 to one. Uh, he is the defending champion. I know that that can sometimes drive you away, but he's the defending champion. He has played well here in the past, despite not being a great course fit. And most importantly, I believe that he is still leaving strokes on the table. His putting numbers over the course of last weekend were not good, despite him being a notoriously great putter. I'm in on Brant Snedeker at 22 to one, and I got it already because I was concerned that this number was going to drop to 20 or even lower. Um, I'm also going with Ches Reevy at 40 to one, kind of the opposite of Snedeker. No really good course history, but seems to be the absolute perfect course fit. I think that he's rounding back into shape after his two missed cuts recently, played well at the WGC, should be the perfect fit for Sedgefield. He's 40 to one. That number's great. I'm taking it. I'm all over it. Um, there's another guy at 40 to one, Lucas Glover, similar situation. This is another perfect fit. He is top in the field in par four scoring. He's tops in the field in bogey avoidance. He's just someone that you know, maybe because he hasn't played the WGC, has flown under under the radar a little bit. This number at 40 to 1, I don't think it's going to move, um, but he's probably a little undervalued. Maybe should be 35, 33 in this field. That's where I would expect him to see, uh, expect to see him, but there is that dead zone between between 28 to 1 and 40 to 1 in this field. So I'm trying to load up on the guys on the opposite side of that. The 40 to 1s, I think there's uh, a handful of guys there that I could actually end up betting. But in this case, Revy and Glover are the two that I'm actually going to take. All right. Additionally, uh, a couple of long shots. So I, I am going to roster Ryan Moore. I'm going to bet him outright at 150 to one, although it'll be a small bet. I'm also planning on getting exposure to, uh, I'm sorry, I think I might've said Ryan Moore. Ryan Armour, if I didn't, uh, at 150 to one, I'm I'm gonna get some exposure to him in the uh, top five market, top 10 market, top 20 market. The odds should still be long enough to make it worth those bets. And he's just, again, deadly accurate off the tee. All of his good finishes, uh, two top eight finishes in the last two years, they're all here at the Wyndham Championship. It's it's a perfect fit for him, and he has shown us that it's a perfect fit for him. So I'll try to, you know, maybe he finishes, like T4 would be perfect, right? I know I'm not going to win the 150 to one bet, but I'll cash the, uh, the top five, the top 10, the top 20 all along the way. And then in a similar vein, uh, Brian Gay, 200 to one, uh, I will again, It'll be a very small outright bet, but it'll be exposure to him in the top five, top 10, and top 20 market. There are only a few opportunities to bet Brian Gay each year, this certainly being one of them at Sedgefield where the course is, is much more suited to his needs. We'll look again, we'll look back at him again, maybe RBC Heritage or something like that. But I think there are two valid long shots that we can get um, those incremental bets along the way, depending on what their actual finishing position is. All right. That's it. That's my official card. I'm dying to hear what you think. Tweet me. It's at Rick Run Good. Shoot me a note. Let me know who you're betting or where you're going. Next week, it's the Northern Trust. The FedEx Cup playoffs will be down to 125 golfers. 
in the field and we will continue to narrow our way down all the way to the tour championship until we crown a FedEx champion. And then we will take the shortest off season in sports and we'll be back at it just a few weeks after for the start of next year. So this is the sprint to the finish line and it's going to be super exciting with a lot of big money on the line. Best of luck this week. I'll see you next time.